Now you go, 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 oh, oh, I go, no, you go, oh, I go, no, you go, this is so embarrassing, I can't believe it, now you go, I was going somewhere and now I'm lost, hi, Katrina, hello, hi, hello, nice to meet you guys, nice to meet you, thank you so much for coming on, oh, sure, um, I, I'm, Honored and flattered that you guys uh, asked me to come on. Where I'm so honored and flattered. I'm one. so proud of you, um, Karen, because like this is awesome that you're doing this. Like, how did you guys get started doing this? Just them two, all of them. We started talking on Zoom, and then we decided to read articles and watch movies and talk about them. So then we were like, oh, we should do this as a podcast but we need some testosterone for some reason. <laughs> yes, it's true. You need a balance. Like how, how Howard Stern had Robin. Like you always need a, you need a balance. I am the Robin of this podcast. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Karen, you are Howard. Uh-huh. <laughs> Karen is definitely Howard. <laughs> yeah. Karen, you could be more iconic than Howard Stern, I think, in my opinion. I will yeah. never be as iconic as Robin, but you could be as iconic as Howard Stern. You could definitely be as iconic as Robin. We Nobody both can. We could be the like reboot of the Howard Stern. <laughs> we could, yeah. We really Absolutely. could. Well, thanks, Katrina. This is great. I mean, this that's all we really wanted was for someone to tell us that we're the reincarnation <laughs> of Howard. <laughs> we we brought you on because it's about creativity and collaboration. Mm-hmm. And like from the creative point of view. Mm-hmm. And you've written you'd like to write i know you through my stand-up class yes so you're i know you're funny and um and i shared with them the um book that you helped your friend write and he sent you the he yeah said, that was really cool yeah that's overstated i did not help him write that what that was uh, i was approaching him to um shop his book and i said you know because uh, I, I like to shop uh, nonfiction. And so his, his book was about somebody that was, you know, really obscure. And I said, you know, the producer that I'm thinking of shopping it to only does black projects. You know, if they say that she's black, are you going to have a problem with that? And he was like, basically, yes, that he would have a huge problem with that, even though a lot of the research is saying that she was black. And so I was like, okay. And it, we kind of got into it. You know, he sort of blasted me on his website and stuff. And um, so I thought that was the end of it. And then he contacted me like a year ago and he was like, I mean, it was like a full on apology. And he was like, you know, there, what, what you said to challenge me basically, you know, made me dig deeper and, um, she's black but not in the way that you 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 might think and so that's what that's the book that he's come out with and so he just he acknowledged me and I was floored I was like oh my gosh but uh will you just talk about the book because it's published right his book is uh yes it's a book about Shakespeare's uh sonnets and he takes uh an approach involving Kabbalah and he just sort of goes through all the sonnets and and points out uh like all of the the you know the 
the Hebrew Kabbalah in it. And um, he wrote, I don't know how many pages, it's like three volumes. So what he sent me was just the first volume. But his name is Peter Matthews, if anybody wants to look up the book. Uh, it's like $125 or something. I was like, whoa, wow. got it for free. <laughs> yeah, we might have to grateful. copy and paste that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I think well worth it for the amount of research he's doing and what he's what he's basically saying about the sonnets. I think, you know, everyone's perspective is really valid when it comes to Shakespeare because there are so many perspectives in there. And, um, you know, I'm excited for him. That's kind of amazing that you had an experience of like challenging someone on something in that manner and it coming back around as like back in a positive, you know, a lot of people are very weary of like taking kind of some kind of criticism like that. And actually the the person being able to like say like, hey, I thought about it. You were right. I like needed to kind of dig deeper in this and I did. And I'm like, I was wrong. That's that's a really cool interaction. to have. Well, you know, I work with authors. I haven't worked with a lot of authors, but I work with a few. and. Um, and I, you know, I will be one myself pretty soon. And it's, um, there's ego, there's an ego that develops because especially when you do a, a tremendous amount of research uh, yourself, you know, you're kind of like, uh-uh, I know this, you know, and the philosophy that I always try to remind myself of every day is when you think that you know everything you can't learn anything and so I always second guess myself like okay what if I'm wrong you know and then the more exciting thing is oh my gosh what if I'm right you know um uh, I just really try not to bash other people because they have a different point of view and as a result you know my circle of friends are from every political walk of life every you know gender walk of life and i i feel so grateful that i'm able to learn from right. all of these people they, they everyone has something that is you know valuable and right. um we can't you know bash each other because we both might be right you know mm-hmm. if we give each other a chance we both might come out of this feeling good about <laughs> what's right. happening in the world you know do you feel like as you mentioned, you have friends from so many different walks of life and so many different kinds of people Do you feel like that's really kind of shaped the way your creativity forms itself and how you use it in your own writing or experiences or things like that? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, that, that saying, it seems really trite, but you know, they tell you to write what you know. I feel like um, you kind of don't have any choice, right? You do have to write what you know. And if you don't know it, then you need to do a, a great deal of research. And, you know, some people are really, really good at research. So, um, it, you know, you might be, be really surprised when you're good at research. You might be surprised at how much you're able to learn. And, you, you know, you come to a point where you're like, oh, my goodness, you mean I'm the expert at this? This is so weird. <laughs> you know? But I mean, I think that happens all the time. I think that. Um, you know, as human beings, um, you know, who, who, who are naturally curious, not everyone is curious, you know, some people can just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do other things, and they love doing those things. And it's, and they don't have, they're not curious about the world. Like, I have a friend who, 
who, you know, who's not that curious. And and when I talk to them, they're like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I relate to that so much because be, I brought up my last question because I related to a lot of what you said in terms of having friends from like all different walks of life where I grew up back in Queens in New York. You know, I grew up in like one of the most ethnically uh, diverse enclaves in the entire world. And so I had so many friends that were from so many different backgrounds and you, you're you forced to kind of see so many different perspectives when you grow up that way. And I know it's affected me and my writing and the things that I wanna write about. And that's why um, I thought maybe, you know, you kind, you kind of had the same kind of experience of just like being, having the privilege really, I consider like a privilege to have grown up that way, growing up around so many different kinds of people that it just informs your creativity so much. And you see that the world isn't just this kind of binary black and white kind of way of thinking and way of being. Um, so that, that's interesting that you say that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also, uh, you know, biracial, multiracial. And what I'm seeing going on right now in the world, you know, um, in terms, because my, my mom is Vietnamese and my dad's African-American and, you know, and I, I belong to this Facebook, Facebook group uh, that's called Belasians. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of that term before, you know, I joined that group. Um, but, you know, the people who are Black and Asian are really um, concerned, I think, about the, those two communities and how they're interacting with each other because it's just it's it's just troublesome because they they're both saying sort of the same thing you know it's like you know you 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 don't stand up like the black side says you don't stand up for us so why should we stand up for you right and then you know the you know the Asians are like like I mean, this is me putting words in other people's mouths and I'm being right. silly, but, you know, and the Asians are just kind of like, why can't you guys, you know, behave, you know, why can't you guys just, you know, get along? And then the black people are like, hey, now you know what it feels like. You're not doing anything wrong. And all of a sudden people just, you know, bashing you. Right. And so it just goes back and forth. And, you know, depending on the room, I can take either side. Right. And I, ta- and I always play devil's advocate, you know. When I'm in the room with black people, I'm like, you know, uh, this is this is something that you know, Asians are coming from a you know war torn country. Mm-hmm. You know, they, these are all countries that the United States has uh, tried to or was successful at you know overthrowing the you know the the government. I mean, I, I was born in Vietnam during right. the Vietnam War. So wow. that's the perspective that I have. And it's like, uh, the, you know, when, in, when I talk to uh, Asians, it's like, you know, well, Black people are not getting the loans that you're getting, you know, loan access that you're getting. You right. And, uh, you know, how many, how many uh, Black people are being hired in Asian, you know, establishments it's like Mm -hmm. there you know it goes back and forth and it's exhausting and yeah it's it's an example of two communities who are fighting with each other and all they have to do is look up and go why is the government acting like there's only like this finite amount of resources and we have to fight each other for them right why are we why are we playing into this Mm-hmm. You know, and I I just hope that 
and you know, I, I do see things getting better because I do see people waking up that there isn't a finite amount of resources unless we allow that to be, you know, mm-hmm. we, we really have to start calling people on, on uh, you know, our, our, our politicians we have to start calling them on all of their stuff, you know, right. that, uh, pitting pitting one community against the other oh it's always divisive it's always like you know one party against the other and and uh one Uh race against the other and or one gender against the other you know it's like there you know what they're the all of those government people they hang out Uh they're all one people they're all happy you know i went to politicon and they tucker carlson is buds with um uh oh my gosh i'm blanking out on his name but billy bob thornton played him in anonymous um oh gosh do you guys know who i'm talking about no i haven't but seen he's that. he basically tucker carlson is like that deep republican yeah and the guy i'm talking about is like you know deep uh democrat yeah yeah and they they're both strategists and yeah. they're friends and they figure out how to piss off each other's group. Yeah. Oh, wow. I have a question. Yeah. Are you feeling okay this week with what happened in Atlanta? <laughs> okay, no. I think that's why it, it just now came out. Right. Because, yeah. You know, when you're when you're talking about um wh- my perspective and who I am, it's it's really hard. It's yeah. really hard to to, to look at you know, the, what what happened to people in Atlanta that got killed and, you know, they're saying it wasn't because they're Asian. I don't care what it was. I don't, it doesn't make it any better, <laughs> whatever yeah. the excuse was, you know, he did it because they were women. I mean, <laughs> I don't care why he did it. Um, but we, we really need to care about why does this keep happening and why do we keep getting this this same reaction and why are you know when the our government cut you know mental health funding years ago um why aren't they doing something about it now i mean there's a mental health crisis in america right now that's being ignored i mean look at our homeless situation so many of those people or have mental health problems. I mean, that that's when our homeless numbers rose when, you know, when Reagan cut mental health. And I remember being, I remember seeing Santa Monica suddenly f- just fill up with homeless people. How they, were you, was this in the 80s? Were you living in LA at that I time? I totally, I was in college. You guys probably were like toddlers, but I was in college in like 1988. Oh, wow. I was born in 1990, so I was not around. No. You weren't even born yet. See? So, but <laughs> I was just, you know, probably right. 17 or 18, and I Do didn't you... really understand what was going on. I was gonna, that's what I was going to ask. Like, Do you remember, like, have like what kind of you what do you do you remember at all anything like how you felt about it do you remember like what you thought was going on or what you were maybe seeing what was going on at all you know you hear certain things like I didn't grow up I'm the first generation in my family to go to college 
and you know that's not that's by design you know there there haven't been opportunities on you know my dad's side from slavery and i did my genealogy like my grandmother was in tulsa during that you know black wall and then she moved to san diego you know right after that she met my grandfather and then i remember my grandfather telling me stories about him trying to buy a house on coronado island and and none of the white people would sell him a house there so that was Mm -hmm. a form of redlining and it's like when when most of us can look back on our genealogy and actually see where like the you know the government fell short and you know and these things that are happening you know shootings and homelessness homelessness i mean you go to la now i mean are it's like are they doing it on purpose or like like they trying to drive real estate prices down so like the oligarch can go in there and buy it cheap like i want to know like what how does that happen right. so anyway i don't know what all of this has to do with creativity <laughs> um, <laughs> it all feeds into it it's fine yeah except that uh, I probably do pull from a lot of my experiences. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my dad growing up, uh, being black. You know, I think being black, you're automatically a conspiracy theorist. Right. Like you, you, you know, the man is. Black. Yeah, yeah, that was my entire existence, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, then, and then you know, my my mom's is you know my mom's side. She's a little more. Uh, pragmatic but she's getting to be more of a conspiracy theorist too yes that's being around us but you know um things were very black and white for her you know coming from vietnam and um it's just there's there's so many layers right it's just like there's so much of what you experience what your parents experience and especially being you know um children of like immigrants you know i the same way you know, I kind of grew up having the kind of like the experience that my mom and my dad and my grandparents had not being from here, then coming here and, and well, having they to, say you, they say you inherit the trauma. You do. You really do. And, yeah. and when the, I read that research, I was like, you mean the trauma of my mom yelling at me? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I inherited yep. that trauma. <laughs> yep. Because I remember friends of mine who were not Asian or black, who, who, you, you know, they were, they were usually white. They would right. come to the house and visit and they were so afraid of my mom. Right. And it's like, she always sounds like she's yelling. Vietnamese people always sound like they're yelling. And um, it's really, if you look at it, like, instead of that, they're yelling, you just look at it like they're singing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, so, that's very interesting. Yeah. That's really, yeah, cause it's a, it's a tonal language. Yeah. Yeah. Always it's yelling. I'm just yeah. being, I, I would never even want to have friends at to like our house. Cause I was just like, you know what? I'm not even like my mom. is. <laughs> right. gonna- because they're crazy, right? You're like, yes. I don't want like, you to have to experience how crazy my parents yes. are. Yes. I have, I've done that too, especially with my mom, like, um, like, especially with boyfriends. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I remember being 16. And I, I brought this, uh, this black guy to home, like to meet my mom. Right. And it was like, it triggered a bad memory for her or something. Mm. And she went off and then she did it again with my niece. My niece had a black boyfriend and she went off. So um, I'm a little worried with my, about my mom, like what, right, <laughs> about yeah. what's going on there. Yeah. And, you know, and we talked about it a little bit, but, you know, when it comes to um, the language barrier, 
Mm-hmm. I don't because I don't speak Vietnamese. Right. So there's there's an understanding there. I'm still trying to navigate even after all the I'm you know I'm over fifty years old. I'm how come? Wow, you look so young. Oh, Karen, you know how old I am. <laughs> I know, but I always forget. You know because you look so young. Um, <laughs> well, if I was in college when you guys were barely you know born. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Don't you think it's odd that your mom finds it like tried to get you to not date black guys, even though she made a baby with a black guy? Yeah, very odd. And I don't even see. And that's the thing. That's the mental health issue that I'm talking about, because I didn't even understand it when it was happening. I was like, what is happening right now? Right. Like, I still can't even really explain it like yeah. and I was really inspired um there's a show uh called um with Jeannie Mai called um Hello Honey mm. and you know Jeannie's Vietnamese and she's it's with her mom and they just did therapy and I was like my mom oh did my that God. so yeah. bad like I mean, yeah and it was funny watching her mom because my mom would do the same thing her mom was like we're only going to do this therapy thing once because I'm not going to pay for anymore. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to solve all of our mental health problems in one shot. Right, right. <laughs> but, but, God, I'm um, in love if my mom went to therapy. God. Yeah. Yeah. Be, and you're absolutely right, Karen, about that. Like um, there, there's something that happened that I don't know about um, because on the one hand, my mom always says how, you know, how wonderful my dad was, you know, that he, she talks about him as her rescuer in a lot of ways, um, that my grandparents, you know, that his parents were wonderful people. So um, something else happened is all I can say, is all I can imagine. Yeah. She she gets triggered sometimes. And um, we, I don't, I'm just flabbergasted at. I, I feel like that points to so much to, and I'm glad you brought that up, Karen, because it's actually something I'm very passionate about. It's just like just realizing how much like our society has so much anti-blackness instilled in it in so many ways. And it even crosses into people who share a, a culture, you know, with with that group of people, like give you a perfect example. I'm Dominican. So that means that I'm. I'm technically like black and like Southern European, you know, whatever Spanish. So my family is made up of a lot of people who look like on the spectrum of like black to light. We're literally all over it. Some of my cousins are blacker, some are lighter skin, some are even lighter than that, but we're literally, we're all first cousins. We're all, you know, my aunts. So, you know, kind of like you mentioned with your mom, there's something that I've seen in my life too, where there has been so much anti-black news within our own community of black people who still have that within them because they are, you know, there is that, there's something about a darker skinned person that they find threatening. And that is like, just like put, put into our heads for so long. And it's like, that has seeped so deep into our collective consciousness it, and our society. It goes across all cu- cultures. Cause I remember my mom telling me stories about the reason why she had me and she wasn't afraid to have me uh, is because she said she she just knew she was going to have like a little Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was very big at then. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she couldn't wait for me to be born because I was going to be like Michael Jackson. Right. So she like, there was this part of, you know, black culture that she covets, like everybody does. 
Right. You know, but then then there's this like distrust and 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 disdain at the same time, you know, just like with, you know, people loving tacos, but not loving, you know, the people who make tacos like, you know, what's wrong with tacos? Like what? (laughs) Like who doesn't like tacos? Like everybody loves tacos. Literally everybody. (laughs) Right. Like what, what is going on? Like people calling the police on the taco maker. Like why, you know, I mean that, that happened. That was like a, a video that they made. And I, I was like, is this wow. real? Like, like this lady's calling the police on these people. Cause they're, they're making, they're having a party and they're having wow. like, I don't get it. Like wow. why, why, when you love the culture, why do you hate the people? Yeah. I feel like so much of it is, is again, like we're, we don't hold our politicians accountable, people who spew the kind of like hatred that is leading to things like that happening. Like literally the person who held the highest office in the world was spewing things against people like that. And that makes a difference. It really does. Like you mentioned, it's like you, you have to see why, what's going on and why is it happening, you know, in terms of like, why are, why are we not funding things like uh, mental health advocacy and helping the homeless get housed. And why is that going to more policing? You know, it goes into so many layers and yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, but back to creativity. I know it's, it's a little difficult to be creative <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. So when you're, you're stuck in your house in this pandemic right. and you know, pe- the people, the few people who are out there, you know, that they're actually, they actually call them essential workers because they, they're what they're doing is important and they can't go to work because they now have to be afraid to go to work you know that there whatever is going on in this country absolutely is not conducive to being a creative person i think there's a lot of pressure on people to to entertain and make people laugh and you know i think i think we need to worry about educating each other. (laughs) We need to worry about uplifting and loving each other. Like, you know, some of this education, I mean, not not education, but entertainment, um, you know, it it helps us to escape all of that stuff. Um, And, you know, I guess that's good too. If it wasn't for, you know, Dawson's, I watch like Dawson's (laughs) and the ranch on like continuous loop. And when <laughs> when Ozark ended that last oh. season, I went into freaking withdrawals. I was like, I can't deal. I had to join a Facebook group. Oh my God. I, I, I need My girlfriend and I literally before this call, I have to tell you, we were just, we just watched two episodes of Ozark. We're on the last episode of the third season right now. I wanna watch it. We are hooked. Oh my gosh. It and the wild. end doesn't make it any better. You're gonna be like, <gasps> No, don't say that, no. I want to watch it. Oh, shit. I'm, so so... I'm, al- I'm already fucked up off it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's, I think that's just the perils of, of yeah. being confined and, you know, being a creative person. You really, you know, I got to live in Stars Hollow with the Gilmore. Yes. Guys. Oh, my God. I can't believe <laughs> I'm sorry. You just, we're, we're like, are we the same person right now? I, <laughs> I, I made my girlfriend start watching Gilmore Girls. This is my third time watching it all the okay. way. Okay. I can't tell you how many times I've watched Gilmore Girls. That's right, Tracy. I saw your face. Yeah, those are my people. Uh, I can't even, I have a friend that told me years ago to start watching it. And I was like, Gilmore Girls. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, like, I don't think so. 
and oh I and I got to I got to um meet like one of the producers who oh nice like brought it to television and stuff right and um these these guys you know they're they're pretty brilliant but what I found yeah. interesting about him because you know how Gilmore Girls they have like this whole really fast kind yeah, of yeah. Talking super fast pace talking yeah this producer was talking to his best friend and they talked just like that just like wow just like Lorelai talks to everybody all really fast and there's a joke in there somewhere and a yeah. really weird reference from 1954 <laughs> He, he, I can't imagine someone actually talking like that in real life. I don't know if I'd be able to handle it. I think it. those writers were emulating people. Wow. That, that they knew. That's amazing because I, I read that they, it's like a 42 to 45 minute show, but the scripts were like 75 pages because they fit so much dialogue into them. And they talked so fast, had to talk really fast. Yeah. God, it's so good too. <laughs> Le- I love Gilmore Girls. We're on the last season though, and we're very upset about like what's going on in the last season. <laughs> well, you know, they cool. they they took um, the creator, Amy Sherman Paladin. Right. They yeah, took Paladino. her. Uh, they took her off of the show, mm-hmm. um, for and I don't, you know, things happen. They wouldn't give her her shmoneys. They should have given her her shmoneys. I don't know if it's always about money. It's not always about. I, I've That's what I had read allegedly. I'm not yet. There are some people who are difficult to, and I'm not saying it's her. I'm saying, in my experience, what I've seen, that sometimes uh, there's someone who, who's difficult to work with, and sometimes that person might be me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and what basically happens is, even though, and I don't know if this happened in her case, but I, what I've seen is what people, what will the production will do is they'll still pay that person as if they were working, but mm-hmm. they're not there because nobody wants to work with them. And wow. that sometimes happens. It's kind of a dream job. <laughs> to get kicked off of your own show. Yeah, and just get, keep getting paid. <laughs> get paid. And just keep getting paid. Yeah, right. That's almost I, like a, a, a plan. That's like a good plan, right? Like, yeah. Make a, sh- a show really, really good. And then towards the end, you get real shitty to everybody. <laughs> I'm just get sure. like start fucking yeah. i'm sure you do that but unless i was intentionally doing that i would like fall into a deep depression <laughs> you would yeah. fall in a deep depression yeah if like they kicked me off my own show because i was hard to work with it happens i think it happens a lot and the reason why you become so hard to work with is because they're your characters you created them that's your world and um you know and you you get you're so personally vested that when when the the actors or the you know whoever's directing or whatever they if they're messing with your mm-hmm. work it, you take it personally right. i think is what happens you mm-hmm. know or or there's just some people who are harsh you know they're too um uh, honest sometimes or or judgmental and you know egos can't always take it but you know the people who work the longest are the people who are easiest to work with and you have to walk that fine line between being easy to work with or being like a pushover where those there's people who are sharks you know and this is totally not the great the create the creative part of the job but there's you know there's sharks who are like wow that i really like what you've come up with let me just take that away from you <laughs> and run yeah. with it you know so right. you, you you have to be easy to work with but also 
you know, you have to be smart business wise so that um, you can maintain enough control and, and integrity for your work. This is great advice. You're out here giving a master class. This is a master. No, I have you guys done that? Have you guys taken one of those master classes? I have, yeah. I've taken a couple of them. Oh, okay. I bought like the year past. They're they're not bad. I like the Who's one that have you taken? I've seen the Martin Scorsese one. That one was a little he kind of just rambles about his own stuff, which is kind of funny. But the Issa Rae one is like I can't recommend that one enough. That one is wow. really good. I love because I love her work anyway. Like her show is kind of like how I would want to emulate, you know, the style that I would kind of want to emulate in my own writing and eventual show that I hope to make one day. So kind of seeing her journey and how she kind of did everything really outside of the system and kind of just did it her own way and um, just kind of takes you through some simple steps you could take to really just start get your work out there and use your friends for all these things. So that one, I, I highly recommend these. Brian, Brian, you should say, tell Katrina about your pilots that you've written. Oh, I've written uh, two pilots, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, started writing um, a couple years ago, and I've two pilots written. They're kind of centered around um, the, my a little bit of my experience growing up in Queens and being like an Afro-Latino kid and a lot of, you know, crazy shit that I've dealt with. And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think now more than ever, they're, they're scrambling for material because... Right. People are watching way more television yeah. and, you know, you can see how we're acting like when our show ends, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not the only yeah. ones like that, yeah. everyone. That's and, so if, true. you know, if, if uh, you could come up with another Gilmore Girls or another Ozark, you know, they are all for it. But, oh, yeah. Um, the, the, the master class sounds a lot like classes that I've taken um over the years i guess before because you know i grew up before the internet mm -hmm. so um i took uh screenwriting classes at ucla oh, cool. they were like they were like classes called like i took one class called um screenwriters on screenwriting so there's all of these awesome people that nobody you know usually would get to meet and they right. just were telling you these really personal stories about like how they did it mm -hmm. and i learned so much from that's that. awesome that's i learned so cool. like I, i'm just so grateful to that so it sounds like maybe that the, those master classes are kind of like that and then um the one of the classes that i took that uh, i actually take it over and over is uh robert mckee mm. i have his i think this is a book he has, he a, has a book, but, um, you know, we all learn in different ways. Yeah. So I have his book, but I've never read it. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I just go, I just go to his lectures and he's, okay. he's getting older now. Um, so I'm, I'm glad he's still, you know, doing this, but I've, I've been going to his class for like 20 years now. Wow. And it's the kind of class, like the first time I took his class, Rob Lowe was in the class. And like Ann Archer and Jeremy Irons was in my class, and it was oh. sort of surreal. Does Roblo still look no like? No idea who these people are. Look, oh no, yeah. Does Roblo? Do you remember what Roblo looked like, and did he look the same as he does now? Because I feel like he doesn't age whatsoever. Yeah, he he he's aging really well. I mean, a lot of people are like you know Hollywood. They have um 
the resources. I mean, how you look right. is really, really important, you know, right. so you could keep working. So, and, you know, at the same time, you can't change so much that people can't recognize you anymore or else they won't, they don't want you to work. You know, they can't use you um, right. if you do that either. But yeah, he was, no, this was, gosh, this was a long time ago. This was, he was very young. I was really young. I, I mean, this had to have been like, 25 years ago i don't know rob correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> yeah. please email us rob low right. and let us know uh what yeah. year it was yeah I, in the class. I don't remember how many years but it was a long time ago and i just remembered what i noticed about him first was his were his shoes because he was wearing kind of like penny loafers or whatever <laughs> and then i i i saw his watch and I was like, oh, wow, that's a nice Cartier. And then I looked at him and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Rob Lowe. <laughs> I was like, where did I? I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in a class with Rob Lowe. And then, you know, once I started looking around at everyone's faces, I was like, everyone in here is somebody except me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you are definitely somebody. How did there, there are hundreds of people in that class. Oh, shit. How did you meet? We I know you because we had the same stand up teacher. Adam, yes. Barnhart. Adam Barnhart, the best. How did you meet him? Oh my gosh. I went to the Gay and Lesbian Center after my cousin passed away. They have, they have classes there. They had, I have taken a, a screen uh, writing class there and they had other classes and they had um, a stand-up comedy class. And um, like, <laughs> I was there because, because actually I'm not gay. Um, I, I'm definitely an, an ally, but I was there because my cousin um, had passed away and uh, and she was transgender. And if you guys know anyone who's transgender, they are just irreplaceable. I was devastated. You know, in some cultures, uh, they believe transgenders, that God is a transgender and, you know, that transgenders are the closest thing to God. And um, I kind of understand that, that thinking, like, because she was so wise and just helped me emotionally through so many things. You know, when you talk about having a lot of different experiences, I, you know, when I'm writing, I, I do have a lot to give. And when I am talking to writers, I have, a, you know, I have some insights. And uh, I met Adam because Adam was teaching a, a stand-up comedy class and I had terrible writer's block when I went in there because I was just so sad and I I, I think stand-up comedy is one of the best therapy that uh, you can do for yourself uh, you, you know and it's not it's not really about being funny because the friends of mine <laughs> when I took the class they were like you're not funny like why are you taking <laughs> And then at the end of the class, you you go to um, the comedy store and you perform in the belly room. And, you know, it was like, that's, I mean, the comedy store, that's for real. That's legit. Like you got to, you know, and so my friends were like, oh my gosh, you're just, you're actually doing stand-up. This is crazy. And it just felt so great, like to do something so brave and, you know, that I would never, you know, normally do. 
And it was one of the last things that I did with my, my cousin, because she actually went with me to the, the laugh factory and I did an you know, I did an audition, uh, at the laugh factory, uh, too, before I, before I, uh, I met Adam. But uh, what I realized is I just, I really just needed stand up for, for the therapy. And once I, you know, once I was, I mean, it's, I, I was going for a few years and it, even once I started writing again, I, I kept going and I just, I can't even tell you, it was, it was better than therapy because the friends that I made um, in stand-up, stand-up comedians are the best salt of the earth people, you know, I, I can't, I can't uh, stress it enough for your mental health. If you can do stand-up, I mean, after this is all over, because the stand-up is kind of hurting right now. I know. Yeah. But uh, it it was great therapy. It was great for creativity. That's great. Yeah. So what kind of does your writing focus on? And, and do you write screenplays? Do you write books, novel, short stories? Um, right now, I have written um, a couple of things in the past. Um and just just so you know that I know people who've written 10, 20 screenplays haven't right. sold anything yet. Yeah. Um, and it's not that those are not good, but you really have to have the right combination of things at the right time. And right now, in order for a television show to get made, you have to assemble a lot of talent. Um, you have to, you know, you have to get uh, somebody in front of the camera, several people behind the camera. They want a, a showrunner who has experience. Um, you know all of these things for the studio, and understand that even if you assemble all of those things, the studio sees these these uh, you know teams <laughs> come together all the time. You know, and not always successfully. It took Mad Men. 10 years to get to finally get on the air and, wow. not, and it, it wasn't just because it they didn't have a script this is because you know they didn't have the they didn't have all the things that the studios were looking for at that time and mm. they had to keep going back and saying you know coming back and going okay so now we have this and you know you know, the, the studio would pass and then they'd go back and they go, okay, okay, now we have that, you know? So it's, um, you just, it's like building the perfect burger or something like you have to keep experimenting and, and mm. going back and asking them, you know, if that, if it's the right time and like for you right now, I mean, there, it's kind of a, um, a great time, you know, ever since Black Panther, and I would say a little bit before that, Hollywood, there was a time when Hollywood didn't care about making money on, on Black uh, projects. I mean, there was just an article that I saw uh, on, on my uh, Instagram about how studios put very little money into uh, Black and Brown and Asian projects, uh, but make a ton of money on it. So it, it stands to reason if they put more money into it, they would make even more money. But it's, it, you, get to, you get to understand that it's not about 
money sometimes mm-hmm. it's not that pure right. um you know when when you are in control of something you know do you really want to make more people as powerful as yourself and that's sort of like the the shark tank that we're all kind of swimming in right i have a, I have a friend who is getting her phd right now and you know current phds decide whether or not she can become a phd and it's like they're they're not like happy to have her join the club you know mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're all trying to you know duke it out with her and it's just it's a kind of weird phenomenon here in the united states where where not everybody's happy for you to be successful right even if even if it, they stand to become wealthy or wealthier because of it you know they're already wealthy you know and they have total power why are they going to invite more people to the table why do they why would they want to do that right how do you how are you able to kind of keep yourself almost motivated being a creator of color out in this industry that's very hard for creators of color even though there are more opportunities now sure but it's still you know decades and decades worth of catching up that needs to be had and as a creator of that caliber how do you keep kind of yourself going and and wanting to keep making these things you know I had quit a long time ago and I became a mom like I was I was working I was like working in development and um I didn't have the kind of childhood that prepared me for for entertainment I mean I actually worked for really good people like I'm not somebody who got you know round round run over by the me too you know thing that happened to a lot of people I mean I'm grateful I, I actually worked for really nice decent good people you know right. um but at the same time it was really like it was hard it was hard because I didn't I didn't, I think at that time I felt like for the ups and downs, it's, it, it really is. It's like, you know, it's, it's there. I don't, I haven't seen like a really good depiction of what it's like, but, um, and maybe I will do that one of these days, right. but um, I haven't, you, you really have to have love in your life to get knocked down that much in entertainment will do that and um you know i i don't take it lightly you know you, you when you think about all of the celebrities who these are just the people in front of the camera that have these breakdowns and meltdowns and things like that i mean there's there's something that's happening to them that is causing that there's a mm-hmm. you know um but I, I think there's a climate in entertainment. Um, so I would tell, I would just say that there's other ways to be creative. Um, entertainment is one of those things where y- you could win the freaking lottery <laughs> if you're really, really lucky and really, really work hard and you're really good at it, or you're related to somebody <laughs> <laughs> who's already in that position. Uh, you know, 90% of the people, and this used to be a joke. I, I used to work in um, entertainment payroll. 
and this was just a payroll company part of entertainment. Mm. And uh, one of my coworkers, we got a new coworker and my other coworker, she, you know, she, she says, just like, so matter of fact, Lisa, she goes, so who are you related to? You know, wow. when the guy got hired right. and um, that, I, you know, for obvious reasons, I always remembered that. And mm-hmm. there have been a lot of situations where then this is, this is one piece of advice I will give you to you guys and to anybody who wants to be in inter- entertainment, like do not badmouth anyone. Right. You just never know who you're talking to or who they're related to, who they're friends with. Um, yeah. You'll get fired and you don't even know why you got fired. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a it's it's a very, you know, just like everything in America, there's a lot of nepotism. Right. And, you know, um, what like what Trump did with with uh, his you know, kids. Yeah, his kids being in the government children it was kind of funny yeah. to see people being um ign- like accusatory about that as if that's not how america is and right. it's always right. been like right. um you know i i think that Amer- a lot of americans want to see the united states as a place that's not like that Mm -hmm. very idealistic and you know when it's all of our money all together it it shouldn't be like that it should be fair you know um ideally it should be you know oh like i just watched that whole documentary uh on the 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 college scam Mm. There's already a documentary about that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, they Come work fast. With Matthew Modine, he's oh. he plays the guy. But um, yeah, like that happened. That's like the reality. Yeah, it probably that, happens way more than we even really can well, imagine. The way that I when I I the way I interpret that when I watched it, I was like, the people who have to pay, who had to pay him to get their kids into college they're not like when people talk about oligarchs like Mm -hmm. um like bernie sanders he talks about getting you know the all the oligarchs to pay the oligarchy yes he's not talking about these people the the the, like to us the those people were rich you know (laughs) to Mm -hmm. us they were because we're we are not but to the oligarchs they're like yeah nothing yeah yeah, they're not billionaires they're millionaires they're multi-millionaires but they're not like billionaires or you know yeah they're not like really in politics and running the world because those people's kids go to whatever school and there's no there's no i mean there's no process you know (laughs) this is this is uh uh something i mean these people are sort of like the kmart version of you know the oligarchs they want to be those people right they're start. they they i I feel like they hung out with those people Mm -hmm. and they couldn't really participate in the conversation because their kid they weren't educated and their kids weren't educated and they felt like they they felt like they had to prove themselves and so they had to get into these schools Mm -hmm. you know and they really didn't understand how it worked and even if they did, I mean, I just felt like this is weird. 
like these people are weird like they they're a little bit clueless like they they are not they're not the the oligarchy yeah there's like a whole other top level that we can even fathom how like there's um if anyone's it's j cole there's a j cole song where he's talking about he he people think that he has a lot of money right Mm -hmm. but he's not even close to the people who would laugh he was i think the lyric was the type of person that would laugh at hove money meaning like the type of person who would laugh at like jay-z type of money and jay-z is now a billionaire those are the people that no one even thinks about that really have a hand in almost everything you know that we you know we we can't even fathom that level of what that is right because like kanye he's he is the wealthiest black man now right six six billion yeah i was like that's depressing how did that happen (laughs) his yeezy brand the, the yeezys he sold i think one of his deals with uh, Yeezy and Gap is like worth almost a billion, and he has his clothing brand and his his um I think shoe brand too. It, oh, it really blew up. I didn't know it blew up. I oh, love. Yeah. Time I heard, I thought his shoes like weren't selling. People awesome. love those ridiculous ass shoes. I'm sorry, those shoes they look like space hovercrafts. Like I'm just like, who wears this shit? But it's successful. It's very successful. Shoes are a big deal right now yeah it's so weird Kanye West because he said he was gonna be the richest man like the richest he did I'll I'll give him that maybe he's just saying that I mean you know I saw something about maybe (laughs) there was like a meme or something that says maybe he's just like Trump and he just says whatever (laughs) inflates his own yeah Yeah. and sometimes those kind of things can backfire on you because the irs are like wait you don't have many taxes so no let's go check that out so and you know i don't i mean i don't know i'm just being silly but um it apparently was like on forbes or something i don't know how official that is but like it is right i don't know katrina what were you saying you're like shoes are big right now shoes are i mean collecting shoes yeah is like such a huge thing right now and you know it's a little concerning my kids are that that age I have two boys in high school Mm. and you know they're really into shoes and I try to talk to them like (laughs) you know one of them was doing a little bit of that stock market stuff with the GameStop and all that and you know and what I always try to tell him is um you should because you just have to know about me. When I was in college, I bought a Apple computer. I bought, I bought that cube mm-hmm. and it was like a thousand dollars. I had to take a loan out for it. It was like wow. a big deal for me. And I read an article that said, had I put that in stock instead of buying the computer, I would have been a millionaire by the time I was wow. 30. And so I tell my kids that story and you know one of them one of them is he's going to be in fashion I'm sure because he didn't care he was like mom shoes are important (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. but but the other one he's like wow I really regret all the money that I spent I should have put it in stock you know he's just really enjoying himself and you know the logic there I think for him and for me is like you know as long as as the oligarchy is doing well you will do well if you put your money where they put their money you know right. of course they can they can afford to lose a lot more than than we yeah. can but um you know super wealthy people 
they sell you shoes, they don't, they don't buy that stuff. Even um, Steve Jobs said that his, he would never give his kid a, an iPad. Yeah. No. I, f I think I, I, it was in the, that documentary, The Social Dilemma. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's really like every CEO of all those companies are like, I don't let my kid use Facebook. I don't let my kid use Instagram. I don't like all this stuff. They would never let their kids use any of that stuff. They know they're at that level. They know like, I'm going to put this out into the world for consumption because it's going to make me a lot of money, but I know it's terrible for my fucking kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, when my kid was about, 12 i gave him a book you, you guys probably have heard of it's called um rich dad poor dad mm. and you guys have never heard of it it's a it's I mean, a really my mom gave me that book to read it's like here this is everything you need to know <laughs> oh wow <laughs> i i basically did the same thing and he came back to me and he was like mom there's you're either an owner or you're a worker and I was like, exactly. I said, wow, you need to make, you need to make a decision on what you want to do. So he's wow. like Alex P. Keaton right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great though. I mean, I, it sounds like there's a lot of great information for young people in that book. I wish I would have read something like that. Um, it's not too late. It's really, yeah, I, it, it really breaks it down and um, you're able to, to grasp, you know, focusing on money because money is really easy to make when you're young right it really is um do you have any do you, you have any examples of <laughs> what of what i want to make some money <laughs> if you if that's important to you then you you're gonna have to to focus on that you're going to have to read some books on on investment like every everyone that i know who uh invests in real estate does very well and you know if that's something that's important to you then you you start you have to educate yourself on real estate it's, i i don't think that the, it's like a, a secret on how to become wealthy I think that information is out there. And I think that's why a lot of wealthy people, they don't feel sorry for anybody who isn't wealthy because right. the information is there. Um, the, but the access. access yeah, that's exactly what I'm The access, it, it's not, you know, everyone doesn't have the same experience. And, you know, that's what I, I try to explain to, you know, friends of mine who, they're, they're wealthy and they're kind of out of touch with, you know, what, right. what everyday people experience and everyday kids yes. know, are experiencing. And the, there's not poverty the way it used to, poverty used to motivate people, you know, there, it used to be, cause now like so many kids have the same thing. They all have iPhones. They can all play video games. So they feel equal. But when we were growing up, some people got Payless shoes <laughs> and, <Yep. laughs> and some people got like, you know, store, you know, department store stuff. Right. And when you're a kid and you're like, your, your parent is a housekeeper and, and you have to go to school, you know, your, your parent is, is paying all this money for private school. So you could go to school with and get the same education 
as the people that she actually works for and you're able to experience, you know, you're able to get the same education, but man, it doesn't feel good, you know, when they can spend all this money on their clothes and they can spend all this money on trips and all the extras that come, you know, these kids travel the world and, you know, now it's not really like that. I I don't think that as many kids now are as motivated to become wealthy like their parents were because there was that, you know, the, the stratification that motivated them. I mean, I sort of missed that too, because, you know, my parents worked really, really hard. So I didn't really go without, like, I didn't know if I was, and I didn't care about that kind of stuff either. Like, I didn't know I was poor. And so somebody pointed it out to me, like, you know, I remember, <laughs> I don't know, what, does this, is this cell still this relevant? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I love it. When, when, uh, when I was, uh, like in middle school or whatever, um, you know, my mom comes from Vietnam and in her country, you only needed two outfits to go to school. Mm-hmm. And when you were wearing one outfit, the other one was getting washed. And so for my birthday, my friends like all pitched in and bought me a pair of designer jeans, which was a really sweet thing to do, except when they said, well, Katrina, we noticed that you only had two sets of clothes. I was mortified. I was like, that's something I didn't know was a thing. You guys, I mean, they're clean, you know, Mm -hmm. but at that time, like you couldn't wear the same outfit in that week. Like that's where fashion was starting to, you know, ramp up. And, you know, my mom didn't understand that, you know, everyone in Vietnam just has two outfits. So it was just kind of like, you know, these kids have a lot. And I know my friends who grew up with a lot, you know, they're not as, they're not like go-getters so to speak they just like if hey if i have enough money to golf and to have a decent you know car payment like hey i'm cool right it's so funny this came up because i was literally having a conversation with a family member of mine who i'm very close to yesterday you know they called me and was just kind of talking about like hey i started this like program where you know they just kind of help you get through you know if you have a lot of debt how to kind of like chip away at it and get through all these things all these financial issues and he they were so excited because it was just like this was the first time that he had received any kind of information about how serious being in debt is how to get out of debt how and then we started to talk about how we didn't have the resources and the access to even know what that even meant what like debt was and how it cripples you and how it just like you know being from where we're from very low income working class immigrant communities no none of our parents had any kind of know-how about how to deal with that and it, it didn't strike us until we were much older just like oh this is like we shouldn't be you know hundreds of thousand dollars in debt and thousands of dollars in debt that so many people are but we've like for, we don't give people the access and the education around how to even understand what how their financials work what financial institutions even look like with how they work how debt works any of that stuff i didn't discover any of that shit till i was like 25 26 you know and, and my family member as well who's older than me and we were just like he was just like so mind blown about like his 
whole life was just like spending, spending, spending because, you know, he kept getting, you know, credit card uh, offers sent to his home. And like, you know, the parents didn't have the, the wherewithal to like teach them about those things because they didn't have that access and they didn't have the ability to do that. So it was just like, kind of like, just almost serendipitous that we were talking about this and him and I were just talking about how, man, it really don't have, we didn't have that access and now we see so many people and, and people who I've met later in life who did grow up that with that access and grew up with their parents had that knowledge and why they grew up middle-class and why they had houses and all these things. And it's, it, it really is about that access. It's pretty hard to be creative when you have <laughs> stress, when you have financial stress on you like that. Yeah. And um, I have to say that I'm really grateful to my mom and my dad for that matter, because um, after I got a divorce and I had two kids, um, I really wasn't in a position to be creative, but, um, my parents, I think they, they saw my situation as like really horrible. I think they were afraid that I was going to like, you know, die and leave my kids to them or something, you know, <laughs> they were like, no, please go find happiness. So my, you know, my mom really, she pitched in a lot. She didn't put a lot of pressure on me and I had time to really figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. You know, I thought I was probably 40, you know, 30, 30 late thirties, 40, you know, early 40, forties. And um, I was, I was able to read and think and, uh, you know, apply all of the resources and, um, just, I mean, cre- you know, to be creative, you really have to be in a loving environment. I, I think it's, it's hard. And, and, and I shouldn't, and I shouldn't say it like that because, you know, sadness promotes creativity, you know, loss promotes creativity. Um, you know, even having the worst, poorest circumstances also promotes creativity because you have to, you have to figure out a way, you know, to do things. But um, I, I think I'm just thinking in terms of um, the entertainment industry and, and um, you know, and writing, like, it's just really difficult to just sit down and write. Like, when, when I talk to people, like, do you, any of you guys married or have, and have kids? Okay, you're not doing enough. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you right now <laughs> whatever because when you get married and you start having kids and stuff you have no time to yourself and basically what my parents gave me was a huge gift of time to myself to really be creative and that is something that I I realized that I had before I had kids and don't get me wrong like I was I was powered down like I I worked really hard and I and I did a lot but the, the, for me, like the kids and the, the loving home was missing. I, it was hard for me to go to an office and, and do the whole development thing when really I would go home and there was nothing at home that was, was beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I really had a hard time with that, but um, what it's like the, the kids and the husband that became like the perfect storm, you know, later in terms of creativity, because 
I do have a loving home now and I have peace and you know what what I create and what I'm able to do feels good there's no guilt there's no you know oh there's always guilt when you're a parent but when I I don't know I most most executives in entertainment like they don't really have kids Mm. in certain careers they don't they don't really have kids like sometimes they might have a husband but then it turns out that he like that's too much and <laughs> yeah, divorce them. But um it it's really hard to have it to have it all. So while you guys are not you guys are not um doing the whole kid thing, yeah, you guys gotta power down because kids take all your creativity. <laughs> they take everything and they leave you very little. Like I mean <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lie, like like they, they're wonderful. They're I I've learned from them. You know what I mean. They're wonderful, and but it's horrible at the same time because there's nothing, nothing left for you. You just you well, can uh, a soulless shell. My girlfriend and I need to have a conversation then. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be uncomfortable for all of us. No, you um, don't. You don't. You know, the first three years, like you don't even get to sleep. Like it's terrible. Kids are there a lot so i'm all i'm saying is if you don't get up at five four or five o'clock in the morning and do something creative right now you are you have no excuse you, <laughs> you are you you're you guys are lagging get up, wake up. all right we got to get our shit together guys talking about shit together team four o'clock in the morning five <laughs> o'clock in the morning you will be so much more creative if you wake up early in the morning how late are we supposed to go to bed <laughs> you, you listen to your body your body tells you you know i got up at five in the morning for about a month one time six years ago when i was 25 or something yeah just and and turn off whatever you know light from the computer or the phone and do your creative thing like if you're a writer sit down with the pad or a book you know if you're going to be on the computer it should be to research um but you should be doing what's important to you you know if that's on canvas if you're an artist you know an hour before you go to bed it, you should be spending time with yourself um and not with other people's thoughts and garbage like i right. you know i read the news because you really as a for me I, i'm sort of addicted to news i get a lot of my stories and creativity from right. what's out there but um, if if there's no reason for you to be plugged into that, I don't recommend that you be plugged into that. Be plugged into yourself. And that silence is going to guide you to what's really important. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katrina. This was awesome. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know. Uh, it was great. <laughs> We, we talked talk, about a lot of talked about a lot of things. Got some great advice. Never gonna have kids. <laughs> no kids. So I'm that's looking forward I to think. that. Actually, that's yeah. that's what my main takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend no, is not gonna be happy after this conversation. <laughs> but you know what? I'm gonna tell her Katrina sent me. Um, you know what? I I wish I could I could counter that, but I'm telling I'm telling you, if you're a creative person. 
and you are already tired, kids, <laughs> kids are just going to make you more tired, especially if you're a woman and it's because it's expected that you do like all the cooking and cleaning and stuff. And I tell you, if it wasn't for my mom helping out with that stuff, there's no way I'd be cre- be able to be creative. So, you know, you guys feel free to cut whatever out of this. I know it's long. <laughs> no, this is perfect. Thank you so much. Right. This is great. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you. All right. Katrina. Nice meeting you guys. You nice too. Meeting. Bye. <laughs>